Keila. If you brought your Bible with you, would you open it to Ephesians chapter 6? Today we are moving into verse 18, Ephesians 6, 18. The subject of this verse is prayer, and so we're going to just settle down in this verse and focus on it alone today. And so I'll read that to you this morning. Ephesians 6, 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's pray. Oh Lord, it is our sincere desire to draw near to you today. We understand, Lord, that you have promised to meet with us when we gather in your name. Our sole intention this morning, Lord, is to focus on you and to hear you speak to us. Father, we have traveled this road long enough to be fully aware of the fact that we are ill-equipped to face all the things that come at us in life. And that while there are good weeks, there are also bad weeks. And there are struggles that sometimes endure for months. And when we don't have anything else that we can do, we are so thankful that we have the resource of prayer that we can come to you, that we can pray to you, that we have the promise that you hear us and that you answer us. Far too often we neglect this opportunity to pray. And I pray and ask, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us this morning through your word to raise the frequency of our prayers in our life from day to day. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning in verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes uh, to the Christians in Ephesus about spiritual warfare. And so we've been covering that the last few weeks. He transitioned and he, he transitions in verse 10 with these words, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And so as he's spent the, the first five plus chapters uh, inventorying, describing, expounding about who we are in Christ and what we have, have in Christ, he comes to the closing chapter and the closing verses, and he knows that in spite of everything that we are in Christ and everything that we have in Christ, that it is going to take some resilience. It is going to take some strength. It is going to take some fortitude to persevere through the trials and the obstacles and the struggles of life. And he uses that transitional word finally to say, you know, this is coming at the end of the letter, but it's not the least of our concerns. It really is of high priority that you and I are in a spiritual battle. That when we got saved, we got enlisted into the army of God, that, that when we chose the side of God, we actually made ourselves targets for God's enemy. And because of that, you are going to live your days under attack. And so he tells them and teaches them how to be strong in the Lord and how they can stand. And then he goes and gives them the inventory of the armor that we have in Christ. And, and he says, look, it's up to you. The armor is available to you in Christ, but you must put on the whole armor of God. You've got to make a conscious decision each day uh, to live in this reality. And then separate from the list of armor, but included in the context of spiritual warfare, is prayer. 
And perhaps you've heard people preach this text before, and and they included prayer as part of the spiritual armor. Well, I'm not going to argue with anybody about that, but I see a separation here because prayer is not a piece of armor, and prayer is not a weapon of our warfare. Prayer is actually our line of communication. If you want to say, what is prayer? You know, sometimes uh, we grow up in a, in a religious tradition and prayer is very formulaic. You've got to say these words at this time and follow this pattern. Uh, and people begin to think that prayer is this complex thing. And sometimes they believe it's less up to the professionals. We'll let the pastors or the priests do the praying when, in fact, prayer is much more simpler than that. Prayer is your line of communication to God. And as we look at this, we understand that prayer is how the soldier on the battlefield gets in touch with command center. You say, why is this included in spiritual warfare? If it's not part of the armor, then what is it? It is how we stay in contact with our command center. Do you realize that every military force in the world has learned that communication is essential to success? Every nation, every kingdom that has ever placed a military force in action on a field knows this or they learn this. Communication is essential to success. If you don't have good communication, you might have a stronger, more numerous army and you can still lose because you don't have the proper line of communication. Years ago, I read a book uh, about Ulysses S. Grant, and it was on his successful leadership as the commanding general in the Union Army during the Civil War. In one chapter, it focused on communication, and the author wrote this. Everywhere he went, Grant gave high priority to stringing new telegraph wires to ensure that he stayed in touch with his commanders as well as with Washington. Grant wrote in his memoirs, headquarters were connected to all points of the command. In contrast, Robert E. Lee, commanding general of the Confederate Army, did not do the same. And so there's a real-life lesson in how important communications are. You can't rely on your own strength in this spiritual battle. You can't even simply take on the armor of God and think that you will be able to withstand every attack of the enemy that comes. You see, long before the Civil War, the Apostle Paul knew that communications were essential to our victory in spiritual warfare. If you are going to be strong, if you are going to stand, if you are going to wear the armor of God, you must have a line of communication that is in constant connection with your command center in heaven. And so in this passage of Scripture, he admonishes us and he instructs us on how to use our line of communication with God in Christ. And so first, I want you to see the concern of our communication. One verse, let's read again. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 
The first half of the verse refers to praying for ourselves. It's an imperative. You pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. The second half of the verse is in reference to praying for others and watching and uh, thereunto with perseverance, supplication for all the saints. And so when you think about the concern of your communication, what am I going to talk to God about on this line of prayer? You're going to talk to God about yourself, and you're going to talk to God about others. We are to use prayer to communicate our own needs. If you remember, Philippians 4, 6 says this, Be careful for nothing. In other words, don't worry. Don't worry about everything, but instead in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. You know what I've discovered is sometimes people don't pray for themselves because they've come to imagine that praying for themselves is selfish. Well, you know, I don't want to bother the Lord with that. My problems are so small. Other people's problems are so big. There's so many people in the world, and God's trying to listen to everybody's prayers. And I don't know. I just don't feel like I should pray and, and, and put all this on God. And, and they think that they're doing God a favor by not bothering them with their needs. But I'm here to tell you that that is a strategy that the devil uses to sabotage your prayer life. If you don't pray because you think that you are sparing God from being bothered, you have been sold a lie of the devil, and he has sabotaged your line of communication. H.B. Charles Jr. said, Prayer is arguably the most objective measurement of our dependence upon God. Listen to this. The things that you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. Well, I don't need to pray about that at all because you've got it, right? You got it. You can handle it. You know what I've discovered is that I can handle a few things on my own. But it never just stays a few things. See, because I'm handling a few things, and then there's a few more things that come my way, and a few more things that come my way, and a few more things that come my way, and now all of a sudden I can't handle it. I'm overwhelmed with all the things that I'm trying to juggle and keep up in the air and keep up with. You know, we'd be much better if we just took every one of those small things and turned them into requests to God. That when we spent time praying, we did bring our request to God. That we didn't worry ourselves. That we were careful for nothing. And so, I say to you, utilize prayer on your own behalf. You should do that. That is a resource that God has given to you. In fact, God has invited you to come boldly into his throne room where you can find grace and mercy to help in time of need. He wants you to bring your request to him. But prayer is not just to be used solely to communicate on our own behalf, but also on the behalf of others. So if you only pray about yourself and you never pray for anybody else, that's lopsided. That, that is negligent. It is to be a balance of praying for ourselves and for others. 
one of the greatest things that we can do for our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, is to pray for them in this spiritual war. You know, I've listened to a lot of prayers as a pastor, and I don't want to make anybody self-conscious about praying around the pastor. For some reason, people get that way. But it seems to me that most of our prayers are focused on the physical realm and not on the spiritual. We pray a lot for people's spiritual, uh, physical needs, as we should. If somebody is sick, if somebody's facing a disease, if somebody is going through something, I do believe that we should pray for that. But what I don't hear very often is praying for the spiritual needs. As I hear Paul praying for the believers in Ephesians, that their eyes would be opened, that they might take in the full knowledge of God. You know a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling with some sin, who's struggling with an addiction, who's struggling in some spiritual area, we could benefit them by praying for those spiritual needs that they have, making that part of our prayer time. You see, because perfectly healthy people die every day and go to hell, and us praying people into good health does not pray people into heaven. And so we ought to pray for other people, and we ought to pray for other people's spiritual needs. See, I don't know what to pray for their needs. Well, how do you pray for yourself? That's a good way to pray for others. What do you struggle with? Well, there's a chance that they struggle with those same things. Are you feeling depressed and you're praying about that? How about praying that for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you sense that there's something going on in a person's life and, and maybe they, they, haven't, they haven't vocalized that yet? Maybe they're keeping that to themselves, but you can tell that there's something that they're dealing with. Pray for that. Remember what Jesus said to Peter the night before he was arrested. He said a lot of things. But one of the things that Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22 was, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. You know, there are some things that when we read that Jesus did, it ought to strike us. And this is one of those striking instances. Just think about, just think about all the things that Jesus could have done for Peter in regards to this spiritual battle with Satan. It is a spiritual battle, isn't it? Satan, he explicitly says, Satan has desired to have you. He's going to sift you like wheat, boy. He's going to run you through the filter. He's going to rake you. But I've prayed for you that you fail now. Now, all the options that were available to Jesus in regard to Peter's spiritual battle, and out of all those options, I mean, he could have said, hey, look, I've posted angels around you. He's not going to touch you. He could have said, you know what? I chained that boy up for the weekend. He's not going to bother you. By the way, he does that for a thousand years during the millennium, so he can do that. He, he, he could have put a hedge of protection around Peter as we so often pray. I mean, all of that was within the power of Jesus. And yet out of all the options, Jesus said, I prayed for you. That, my friends, ought to speak volumes to us about the importance of prayer in spiritual warfare. If that is what Jesus chose to do for his disciple, 
Peter in his spiritual battle, then you and I can pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ and know that it is one of the most effective, meaningful things that we can do in this front of spiritual warfare. The second lesson I'd like to point out to us is the content of our communication. Did you notice that there are two words that are used in this verse? They are prayer and supplication. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching therein too with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So twice praying prayer, twice supplication is used. You say, what's the difference? What's the meaning? Well, according to Vaughn in his book on Ephesians, he says prayer is the more inclusive term. It is general enough to include the whole act of worship, whereas supplication is narrower in its scope. It is petitionary prayer. So when he tells us to pray, he is saying it encompasses everything that prayer does. And by the way, prayer is an act of worship. And so part of our praying, our praying shouldn't only be requests. There ought to be more to our praying when we come to God in prayer. The content of our prayer ought to be more than our wish list or our want list or our need list. But we also are to pray and make requests, prayer and supplication. Remember when Jesus' disciples came to him and they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so you might say, okay, I got you. Prayer encompasses more than just requests. Supplication is focused on the petitions. But what does prayer, what is prayer supposed to include? Because, you know, one of the areas where I think that perhaps we fail as churches in modern times is discipling people on what it means to pray. We hear people pray at the dinner table. We hear a prayer to start a church service or close a church service. We hear a prayer over some boxes. But how often do we actually have somebody come alongside of us, a a seasoned disciple who takes a young disciple and say, I want to teach you how to pray. I want to show you how to make this a daily practice. I want to show you what the Bible says about prayer. I want to show you some life hacks that that will help you be consistent in your prayers and things to pray for. And so I think often we're not discipled in this area of prayer. And so I would just like to go back and show you what Jesus discipled his disciples on what it means to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, pray after this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the kingdom of glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, what Jesus did not intend was for his disciples to memorize that and just repeat that from rote memory. What he wanted to do was give them a pattern for prayer. Somebody came up with a memorable acronym uh, for this formula of prayer, and it, it, it's called ACTS. And so you might want to write this down if you've never heard it before. ACTS, A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration. C stands for confession. T stands for thanksgiving. And S stands for supplication. You say, what, what, what should I do when I pray? Well, the very first thing. The very first thing that you ought to do when you pray is you ought to adore the Lord. You ought to praise God. 
Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, that is reverential speak. That is, that is coming to him and recognizing that God is God and, and that before we can get to anything else, we can't blow past the fact that we've entered into the glorious presence of God. We enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Why? Because he's the God who made us. We did not make him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that if God were to open up the heavens today and appear to us like he did to others in the Bible, that the very first thing that we would do is say, Hey, I've been meaning to ask you for something. Do you really think that would be? Is, was that anybody's first response in Scripture when the Lord appears to them? What is the first response when the Lord appears in Scripture? They fall on their face and they worship. And so if we're going to come into the presence of the Lord in prayer, the first act of prayer is adoration. We come and we adore Him. I praise you because you're the only true and living God. I reject all other would-be gods because they are the product of Satan's deception and, and, and the manifestation of man's sinful imagination. I praise you because you are self-existent. You're the only being in the universe who needs no one and nothing else to exist. You existed before there was anything or anyone else. You're not dependent on anyone else. I praise you because you are a triune God. Unlike any other being, you are three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co co-eternal, co-existent, co-essential, and you were living in perfect harmony, and you chose to share your life and your love with us. And so you created a creature in your image and likeness so that you could have a relationship with us, and you created a world to facilitate that life. And when that creature used the free will that you gave to him and her and rebelled against you and sinned, you were obligated to judge them by your righteousness, but you were under no obligation to save them, and yet you chose once again to share your life and your love by sending your Son to die in our place, to take our sins, to save us, adopt us into your family, give us a home in heaven for all eternity. I'm telling you, there's so much to praise him for. And if you and I would learn that, that part of prayer, that the entry door of prayer is praising, perhaps we'd be a little more motivated to pray. Next is confession. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. I don't know anybody who's lived it perfect. But I know that we've got a perfect God who will forgive us when we acknowledge our sins. We can't hide our sins and succeed. We can't ignore our sins and be victorious. And so part of prayer is confessing our sins. Lord, I, I have sinned, and, and I believe you ought to name it. And when we don't name our sins, or, 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 or if we rename our sins, it's a whole lot easy to let them linger in our life. And so confession is just simply calling it what God calls it. God, I have sinned against you. I don't want to sin. I, I, I heard about an uh, old-time Nazarene preacher. You know, the Nazarenes were birthed out of this uh, second wave of the Holy Spirit movement where they believed in sinless perfection. 
And so one of their doctrines was they believed that people could actually achieve sinless perfection on earth. And so one of the, the well-known preachers of the early 1900s, uh, I think his name was Bud Mailman, uh, someone asked him one time, they called him Uncle Bud, and said, Uncle Bud, have you gotten to the place where you don't sin anymore? And he said, well, I've gotten to the place where I don't want to sin anymore. And I really believe that that's an evidence of regeneration. I don't want to sin. I don't believe that you want to sin. And that that sin, if we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, grieves us nearly as much as it grieves God. And the only way, the only way to relieve that grief, the only way to purge that is for you and I to confess it. Yes, it's covered by the blood. No, it won't ban us from heaven, but it sure will make you miserable and defeated if you don't come clean to God with it. And then Thanksgiving, we ought to thank God. We have to thank God. And, and, and listen, before we ever get to the requests, before we ever come saying, God, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, we ought to start with praising Him, adoring Him. We ought to confess our sins, and then we ought to thank Him for all the things that He has done. It just does us good to go back and to recount the things that he has done for us, like giving us life and giving us health and giving us salvation and giving us a family and giving us the ability to work. I mean, there's an endless number of things that we can thank him for. And what I have discovered about negative people and what I've discovered about myself when I get into a negative mood is that I ignore all the blessings of God that he's blessed me with and I focus only on the things that are not living up to the standard that I want them to be. And so prayer, we ought to thank God, acknowledge what he's done for us. And then we get to the supplication. Oh, Lord, would you meet my needs today? Lord, would you help me with this situation? Oh, Lord, I pray uh, for my brother. Would Would you strengthen him in the battle that he's fighting today? Lord, I know that I sure feel like the the pressure of Satan is closing in on us in this day and time, and I'm sure uh, that sister so-and-so feels it too. Would you give her the strength that she needs today in her workplace, in her family, in her responsibilities? You see, this idea of prayer and supplication is that, that we enter into this act of worship, and we come clean with God, and we thank Him for what He's done, and then, then we make our requests. And so you just follow that pattern. You say, I don't know how to pray. It's so simple. You can't pray it wrong. If you're praying to the God of the Bible, you're praying what you know about him from the Bible. You're confessing your known sins, and you're thanking him for what he's done for you, and then you make requests. I'm telling you, you cannot mess it up. Requests are welcome, but they should not be the only content in our prayer. They're invited by God. But listen, if our requests are the main content, then our prayer has become either self-centered because the request is all about me. Oh, Lord, Lord, I need your help today. Oh, you won't believe what I, I need this and this and this and this. Like if that's how you enter into your prayer time, you have made it self-centered. It's all about you. On the other hand, you can make it man-centered. You can pray for everybody else. But if you neglect to come in praising God, you've missed the mark. And so we begin there. And, and, and I would remind you that part of the power of prayer in this spiritual battle is the act of worship. It keeps our prayers God-centered and it encourages us as we recite what God has done for us. And it really ticks off the devil. Because what he wants more than anything else is to be worshipped. 
Do you remember why the angel Lucifer fell, was cast out of heaven? Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. It is because he desired to sit in the seat of God. And it's the same thing that he's been trying to do ever since then. He's been trying to dethrone God. He wants to sit on the throne. He wants to be worshipped. And so if you really want to upset him, give God worship. And by the way, Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't have all power like God. He's not, he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere like God is. So he doesn't know what's going on in your head. And so I think that there's benefit to praying out loud just so that word can get back to him. They're down there worshiping God again. We're losing it on that front. I tell you, that one, like old Job, you took everything away from him, and he still won't curse God. He blesses the name of the Lord, and he says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord, and he bowed down and worshiped him. How badly do you think that that upset Satan? And I'm telling you that worship in prayer is a profound defense in our spiritual warfare and then third final aspect is the conflict of our communication notice again the verse praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance supplication for all the saints the spiritual warrior is to, told to pray always we're told to pray watching and we are told to pray with perseverance. I don't have to tell you that it is a fight to maintain a consistent prayer life. If you've been saved more than one day, you know that it's a fight to maintain a consistent prayer life. For some reason, that seems to be one of the first things that goes when we allow our mind to be full of troubles and we try to handle things on our own and we get out of bed and we get to it and we get preoccupied with it and we don't take time to pray, I'm telling you, we can end up going days without actually praying to God. First, there is a conflict within. As Jesus said to his disciples during the spiritual battle in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to them, watch and pray. That you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Did you notice? Same words, watch and pray. It's what Jesus told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's what Paul tells us here in Ephesians. But in Matthew, Jesus explained that it is our own flesh that we must watch out for in order to succeed in the spiritual discipline of prayer. So... You and I need to realize that our flesh didn't get saved. My spirit got saved. My soul got saved. I was regenerated. But this old body of flesh, it's still sinful. And I'm living in this conflict between the spirit and the flesh. And the spirit wants to serve God, but the flesh wants to serve self. And the flesh is tempted and the flesh wants to sin. And one day the flesh is going to die and go back to the dirt. And my soul is going to go to heaven. And God's going to give me a new glorified body that isn't afflicted with this sinful condition. And so the first 
enemy we have to combat is the one who lives within it is our own flesh your flesh will try to talk you out of pray your flesh will try to convince you not to read the bible your flesh will try to keep you from coming to church your flesh will try to keep you from sharing the gospel with anybody and so we are to watch we're to guard on that front not only do we encounter an internal conflict when we try to pray But there will be external conflicts that threaten the health of our personal prayer lives. And that's indicated by the word perseverance. Perseverance perseverance means to keep going in spite of obstacles and oppositions. And so if he told these people that they were to pray always and that they were to watch in all perseverance, then he knows that they are going to have to fight through some stuff that there's going to be some obstacles to overcome. There's going to be some opposition that faces them. If we're going to persevere in wartime prayer, then we are going to have to fight through the adversity and not quit during the hard times. I don't know what it is about this old sinful flesh, but I tell you what, you serve God for a little while. You get saved and you start going through this sanctification process and you give up some of those old worldly habits and then you make a sacrifice or two for the Lord, start putting some money in the offering plate. Perhaps you start volunteering, serving in ministry, and then bam, all of a sudden you get hit with something out of the blue, a health condition, a relationship problem, a financial setback, and our reaction is to say, well, what good does it do me to serve the Lord if this is what I'm going to get? And the first casualties are prayer life. And we stop talking to God. And so Paul says, it's going to require some perseverance. There's a conflict to this communication. Do you not think that in a battle that the enemies try to interrupt the lines of communication? Do you not think that they try to distort what's going on so that they can sever that communication? You know what is interesting to me? That immediately after Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Luke 11, he gave them a parable on persevering in prayer. Can I relay it to you? We're almost done. He said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee bread. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. There's a word in there that we don't use nowadays. It's that word importunity. And we could put perseverance in there. But the word importunity means an urgent, persistent request. Here's the idea. Here's a guy in the middle of the night. One of his friends shows up. Man, I got set back. I meant to be here before Dad didn't know I was coming. Man, we are starving. We're exhausted, right? It's old old school Bible times. There's no fast food drive throughs And so this guy wasn't expecting it. He doesn't have any food in the house, but he knows that his friend has some bread. And so he gets up in the middle of the night and he goes to his friend's house. What? I, you know, I, I hate to bother you, but... I got a friend who came to my house on a journey, and I don't have anything to feed them, and they're hungry. 
got their kids with him. Can you go away? I, I'm in the bed. My kids are in the bed. I really, I really hate to bother you, but I, I, I literally, I don't have anything to feed them. Get out of here. I'm not getting up. And though he won't answer him because he's his friend, because of the perseverance, because of the importunity, he'll get up and give him as much as he wants. Jesus taught that right after he taught his disciples to pray. What was he teaching them? Persevere in prayer. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. You and I have to keep praying. It doesn't matter how many obstacles we run into. It doesn't matter how much opposition we have. Let me tell you something. I've been praying for some things for 27 years since I've gotten saved, and I haven't gotten the answer on them yet, but I'm going to keep praying because I've got nothing else. I have no means by which to save my unsaved family if God does not save them. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep persevering in prayer. And I'm going to pray for them every single day because their only hope is if God saves them. And so I'm telling you, don't quit. Don't give up. Pray because there is power in persistent prayer. Would you bow with me? As we bow our heads, close our eyes for just a moment. This is a clear call to prayer. This is a call to a prayer life. This is a call to a habit of prayer. The Bible says things like this. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Pray without ceasing in everything by prayer and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Well, I'm not trying to indict you this morning. But if I am any measure, if I am any measure of the temperature of prayer in our contemporary times, we need to pray more. We need to pray more. We need to pray more for ourselves. We need to pray more for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to pray more for our lost loved ones family and friends we need to pray for our nation we need to pray for our world we need to pray for our leaders we need to pray oh lord i pray that you would do something in our hearts that convinces us of this truth the reality of prayer and that we would seek to increase our prayer time beginning this very week Lord, that we would dedicate more time to prayer. That we would lay aside the devices and the distractions that occupy the majority of our time. That we would turn off the notifications. That we would silence and even power off our phones so that we can have some space to get down on our knees and to pray to you, to pray for others to fight back in this spiritual battle. Lord, I know that I don't pray enough. It's my desire, Lord, to increase my own prayer life and my own prayer time. And so, Lord, I pray that you would send a revival to us, to our church, a revival of prayer. And, Lord, that we might all make a deeper commitment to pray to you.
And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me and let's sing number 154. What a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs>